Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. tell you how good it is to stand up here and see a room full of 50 people or more. Uh, Last time I got up to speak, I had an empty room, just Hayden sitting up on the back desk because we had a bit of a COVID scare and nobody could come to church. This was back in the times when we were allowed to have 20 people, but it's so good to see all of your faces. What a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, worship team. That was just such a wonderful, special time of worship. And this new sound wall behind me really makes the acoustics in this room dramatically changed. It is just amazing how different it is sitting out there. You worship guys don't know, but it is just fantastic. (laughs) Okay, they know, they know. On the 2nd of February 2010, Lavella and I arrived in Colac for the first time. We decided that we would leave the city life behind and were looking for a new life on the land. It's a bit over 12 years ago. And so we started looking around at different churches because one of the primary things we wanted to find as we moved, we left our family and our friends and our church behind, we were looking for a place to move into, a place to find fellowship, a place where we belonged. And so we started going around to the different churches in Colac. And it took us six or seven weeks to find this place. And when we walked in, we found young people, kids everywhere. Little two-year-old, Sally's not there, she's gone. I was going to say, Sally, it's a little two-year-old running around the place, curly red hair. Oh, she she is there. Sorry, I thought she was sitting in that. (laughs) Sorry, Sally, you moved. (laughs) She's grown a bit. (laughs) One of the things that drew us to the church was that we noticed in the paper there was a youth pastor, a youthful young chap named Andrew Cox. And so we knew when we moved into the place, we felt, wow, this is different. A lot of the other churches we went to, we felt like we lowered the average age just by moving in. And the music was led by a lady with an amazing voice, Mandy over there. And we thought, well, this place feels like home. And after the service, we were greeted by so many people. We were made to feel welcome. And we were even invited to come back next week to go home and have lunch at the chapels. And so we felt welcome. We felt that we found a place to come. You see, we were entering into a new environment. We were strangers in a strange land and we wanted to belong. We wanted fellowship. Fellowship is the word we use to describe the relationship we have with one another as believers in Christ. We are called to fellowship with one another. Two weeks ago, Rachel shared about worship. She pointed out that what most of us think about worship is that it is the music. But she said it is not the music. It is about our love for God. 
Many of us think about fellowship as the chit-chat we have before and after church. It is not. Fellowship is the connection that we have with God. We must have... The relationship with small groups. Fellowship, the only way to achieve fellowship is through small groups. Now, wind back the clock 47 years. Lavella and I were newly married and my company, Camalco, sent me to Caratha in Western Australia where they had a salt mine, if you would believe. I was sent to the salt mines. We worked, I was going to be the works accountant there, not a, not a labourer or anything like that. But what we wanted to do was we wanted to get a, go to a church, of course. And being Baptists, we looked up the, whether there was a Baptist church in, in Caratha and found that the nearest Baptist church was in Port Hedland, 240 kilometres away. That's... Um, well, it's a long way. Two and a half hour drive. It wasn't 240 kilometres away. It was 140 kilometres away. So, no, my, two and a half hour drive anyway. Lavella being a country girl wasn't too phased by that, but me being a city boy, I was not keen. When we got to Caratha, our house wasn't quite ready for us, so they put us up in a, in a hotel or a motel. And we went to look at the community notice board, which was just near the, near the uh, motel, and we saw this sign placed there. It says, Caratha Baptist Fellowship meets every Sunday morning and a phone number. So we rang that phone number and we were invited to come along and we increased that fellowship by 25%. <laughs> that little fellowship, it was five when we started, grew to about nine. A year later, it became the Caratha Baptist Church. We were foundation members, nine families, created the Caratha Baptist Church. But that time in Caratha, with the fellowship and meeting together with a small group of people, really instilled in me the belief that fellowship is so important with a small number of people, because that's where you grow. Fellowship is all about learning to love each other. When Jesus was debating with the Jewish leaders, he asked, what is the greatest, they asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 and 40, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. That's worship that Rachel was talking about two weeks ago. The second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law of, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. But verse 37 is about worship. Verse 39 is about fellowship. Now these days we call our small groups life groups. Over the years, they've been known as home groups, Bible study groups, small groups, but I like life groups because we repeatedly, it's about life. 
It's about how we grow together, about how we live, and about sharing our lives together. So I like life groups. In 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And in John 15, 12, it says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. God wants his family, this family, to be known for its love. Learning to love unselfishly is not an easy task. Sometimes it's counterintuitive, of course. God wants us to love everyone. And we had an intercessory prayer this morning for the people of the Ukraine. We need to be able to love everybody. Think of the people in northern New South Wales and, and southern Queensland and all the devastation that they are going through. We need to be loving them. But above all, we need to be loving our own close family. God wants us to be in regular close contact over the last two years of enforced separation and restrictions and our ability to gather together has been severely restricted and it's done a lot of harm, really, because I'm sure the devil is rubbing his little hands together and rejoicing in the fact that we've got into the habit of doing church in our pyjamas, of not coming to life groups, of just not attending we need to be vigilant about getting back in the habit of regularly coming to church whether we can love, where we can love God and into life groups where we can love each other. Can I say that again? We need to be vigilant about getting back in the habit of regularly coming to church where we can love God and into life groups where we can love each other. Now, Andrew mentioned this morning that we've got the opportunity from next week to be coming one big group again about having one service. And I pray that this will be the opportunity for us to start growing and learning to love each other and getting better at life with each other. Busyness is another great enemy of forming relationships or fellowship. We all get caught up in our lives of paying the bills, of, um, of work, of other things that get in the way. But these things are just things that stop us from doing fellowship, of doing the things that God wants us to do. The best expression of love as we're learning to love each other, is time. Time is our most precious gift because there's only a finite amount of it. We can buy a better car, we can make more money, we can add a room to our house, we can do all sorts of things, but we can't make more time. So when you give somebody your time, when you put aside time for fellowship, when you put aside time to spend with one another, you are doing the greatest gift that you can possibly give anybody. You think about that. What a wonderful gift it is. 
It is not enough to say fellowship is important. It's about giving time and making sure you give time to other people, to your fellow believers, to your Christian brothers and sisters. It is focused attention. It is such a precious gift. Most of us can't even imagine how important it is. Whenever you give your time to somebody, you're making a sacrifice and that sacrifice is the essence of love. Everyone needs a place to belong and they feel that they belong when you give them time. Rick Warren, we're continuing in the series of Rick Warren about purpose-driven life, what on earth are we here for? Rick Warren says, I quote him, the Bible says we are put together, joined together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together and held together and we will be caught up together. You're not on your own anymore. While our relationship to Christ is personal, God never intended it to be private. Do you understand that? Your relationship to God was never intended to be private. And that's what's happening when we're doing church at home in our pyjamas. <laughs> we will belong together for eternity. There are a lot of metaphors in, in the Bible that we talk about, like family, brothers, sisters, father. A colleague of mine once told to me when I was sharing with her that you talk about God as a father, but my father abused me physically and emotionally. How can a father be meaningful to me? When you think about it, if you're coming from a dysfunctional family and you don't get on with your siblings, how can brotherly love mean something to you? We have these metaphors that we talk about which sometimes are hard to comprehend. Family, Christian family, church. What does family mean to somebody who comes from a broken family? And so it takes a lot of work. Paul says in Romans 12, 4 and 5, just as our bodies are many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Here's another metaphor, the body. We are all integral parts of that body of Christ, which is the church, and so over these two years of separation that we've had, some of these body parts have been cut off. But what happens when you cut a part off from the body? It withers and it dies. So we've got to get back into a habit of coming together. But the only regular contact we have with the, is with imperfect believers. So what? We've got to learn to be real. We've got to learn to be growing in fellowship. We've got to learn to be following the New Testament and truth about being connected because life is meant to be shared. God wants you to love real people, not ideal people, not ideal people by any means. We are called to love imperfect sinners. God intends us to experience this life together. 
And so we need to have fellowship. And real fellowship is experiencing life in a life group. Now, when it comes to fellowship, size matters. Small is better. Probably don't believe that. Say it again. When it comes to fellowship, size matters. Small is better. You can worship in a crowd, but you can't fellowship in one. Jesus chose 12 people as his discipleship group. Now, one might say, well, that must be the ideal, ideal size, but Jesus was a perfect individual. He was the perfect leader, so for him, 12 was okay. I find 12 is the absolute maximum for a small group. From my perspective, and this is just me speaking, 8 to 10 is the ideal size for a small group. So small is better for a study group, for a cell group, for a Bible study group, for a life group. You want to do life together, you need to be in a group with 8 to 10 people at the top. You can do it with three because we know that whenever two or three are gathered together, Christ is with us. But that's the way to do it. So people, church, if you're not in a life group, get into one. It is the way to grow. It's the only way we're going to grow and it's the only way we're going to grow out of this time of separation that has been put on us. And as we're starting to come together again, we need to be coming together both in church for worship and in our life groups for our spiritual development. Rick Warren writes about four, he said, four essential things for being in a life group, for the, the development of a life group, for the way you're going to grow. Number one, in real fellowship with real people, you experience authenticity. Authentic fellowship is not superficial. It's not surface chit-chat. It's not just having a chat and a cup of coffee. And it is getting down to the nitty-gritty. If you're going to function well, you need to be in genuine, heart-to-heart, sharing your life, what's going on in your life. You need to be able to be willing to share how you are being how life's affecting you. You need to be able to... There's going to be tears. There's going to be hand-holding. There's going to be tissues. <laughs> there's going to be prayer in a life group because you're being authentic with one another. Authenticity happens when people are honest about what's going on. When they disclose their doubts, they admit their fears, they acknowledge their weaknesses... And they ask for help and prayer. Being authentic requires you both courage and humility. These are difficult things. This is not easy. It is not easy doing life with people. It is hard because you've got to be able to let go and you've got to be able to trust and you've got to be able to be sharing with one another. James says in Chapter 5, verse 16. 
confess your sins to each other and for each other so that you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I like the message version of this verse, which says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live your life together, whole and healed. Those words on the screen? Yes. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. We only grow by taking risks. The most difficult risk for all of us is to be honest with ourselves and with others. Now, there's one very important thing that I need to stress here, and it's very, very important. Put on your listening ears. Confidentiality is essential in your life group and engagements. Confidentiality means that what is shared in the group stays in the group. The group needs to deal with it, not gossip about it. God hates gossip. There's in Proverbs 16.28, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Gossip always, always hurts and divides and it can destroy fellowship. So that is an essential thing when you're thinking about sharing, when you're thinking about taking that step to be authentic, that confidentiality, and you must feel that there is confidentiality and you know what's going to be shared is not going anywhere else. Secondly, Rick Warren says that the real fellowship, in real fellowship, people experience mutuality. And that's not a word in my vocabulary, so I looked it up in the dictionary. Mutuality is a noun and it is the sharing of a feeling, action or relationship between two or more parties. Okay, so that makes it fairly obvious what mutuality is. It means that it is an act of giving and receiving. It is, means that we're depending on each other. We must encourage one another. The uh, Bible more than 50 times talks about the one another's each other, support one another, help your, help your brother, and so forth. This can be done through a, a number of ways. It can be visiting somebody when they're ill or preparing a casserole. It could mean dropping off a trailer of gravel because your, your friend's got potholes in his driveway. It, it, it can be just going around for a chat, inviting somebody for a coffee. It is... Mutuality means that we're doing things with each other. We're encouraging one another. We're there for each other. I'm looking at the time and I'm going to have to move along a bit, a bit quicker than I planned. So number three, in real fellowship, people experience sympathy. Now, we just hope and pray that this is not something that happens 
regularly in our, in our life groups. But sympathy is where we can come with somebody and it's just not a trite sorry for your loss or you know, I can't imagine what you're going through or sympathetic words like that. It is being there to be... Sympathy is being kind and it's being gentle and it's being patient and it's being humble and it's assuring your friend that you're there when, when they feel that God is not. Because this happens to us when we're in times of grief. Galatians 6.2 says... Share each other's burdens and in this way you can obey the law of Christ. It is in times of deep crisis, grief and doubts that we need each other the most. When the circumstances crush us to a point where our faith, our faith falters and that's when we believe that we, we need our believing friends the most. We need a small group of friends around us who have faith in God for us. Can you get that concept? We, we need to have people who have faith in God for us when we feel that ours is gone. And it happens and that's when we need sympathy. And sympathy is just such an important part in our ability in a growing fellowship group ability to do that. Number four, in real fellowship, people experience mercy. Mercy, again, we hope that we don't deal with this too often, but mercy is something that we need as, as people in fellowship together. It is part of our imperfect nature. None of us are perfect. None of us are ideal. If we had a perfect group and I joined it, it would cease to be perfect. Fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes um, aren't rubbed out. Oh, sorry, where mistakes aren't rubbed in, they're rubbed out, I meant to say. Fellowship where mercy is working. Mistakes aren't rubbed in, they're rubbed out. Fellowships happens when mercy wins over justice. We need mercy because we all stumble and fall. We need to offer forgiveness, mercy for each other and be willing to receive it from others. That's another important point. We need to be willing to receive it. This is where we need humility. We need to be willing to have our mistakes pointed out and not be guarding against them. You can't have real fellowship without forgiveness because bitterness and resentment always destroys fellowship. And because we are imperfect and sinful, we can unintentionally hurt people. Sadly, sometimes we do it intentionally, but some, often it is unintentional. And we need to be willing to forgive. Colossians 3, 14, uh, 3, 13 to 14 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, 
Clothe yourselves in love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Now, I say that again. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Many of us struggle with this. We don't understand the difference between trust and forgiveness. Forgiveness forgiveness is something that you do immediately. Trust takes time. Forgiveness is now. Trust is future. And as we have our failings, we've got to learn to trust in the place you do that. Trust, the forgiveness and the trust builds in the small group. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. Building real fellowship is not easy. In truth, only the Holy Spirit can do it for us working with fellowships between believers. Now, there are five other... You'll be sorry to hear there are five other things that Rick Warren talks about. I'm going to do them very quickly. If you want to build fellowship, if you want to build community in your small group, you need five more things or five more points to make. It takes honesty. You have to be... You have to care enough and speak lovingly in truth and just not seek to gloss over things because it's hard. You need honesty in a small group. In a life group, you need humility. You need to be able to take the criticism. You need to be able to take the sympathy. You need to be able to share with one another. You need humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. It takes courtesy, respecting our differences, being considerate of each other's feelings and being patient with, with the people who irritate us. You're going to have somebody who irritates you in every small group. It's, it's going to happen. So you've got to be patient You've got to be courteous. You've got to tolerate it. Remember, God put that person in your group for their sake as well as yours. Real community happens when people know that it is safe to share their doubts and their fears and their fears without being judged. Confidentiality. I mentioned that before. It takes confidentiality. Remember what's is said in the group, stays in the group. The final thing is frequency. This is important. You must have frequent, regular contact with your group. It is not enough to just go along when you feel like it, when there's nothing better to do. You need to have frequent, regular contact. Real fellowship is not built on convenience. It is built on conviction. Now, 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and to, we'll sing Build My Life again, I think, if we could. There's a, there's, a, there's a line in Build My Life that says, and show me who you are and fill me with, you, with, your, with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. That's what we've been talking about. Perhaps you're in a small group and Rick Warren actually suggests that we have a contract in our small group. A mission statement, if you like. A contract with these nine characteristics of our group. We will share our feelings, our true feelings. That's authenticity. We will encourage one another. That's mutuality. We will support one another. That's sympathy. We will forgive one another. That's mercy. We will speak the truth in love. That's honesty. We will admit our weaknesses. That's humility. We will respect our differences. That's courtesy. We will never gossip. That's confidentiality. And we will make our group a priority. That's frequency. So church, as you go out this week and you ponder how we can grow together, how we can get stronger, let us think about these things in our small group. I ask that you will be blessed by your community together. Thank you, team.